Hello, Curvings. I'm Mary Scott Hunter here today with my co-hosts, Rachel Breyers and Liz Shears. Welcome to episode 74, our first show after our 2021 season break. And I don't know about y'all, but it has been really nice. I have missed Bell Curve. I have missed all of you out there, Curvings. I have missed hearing from you. I've missed it, but why do you sometimes need some time to recharge? How about you, ladies? How was your break? It's been great. It's been a little bit of a summer break, which was nice. You haven't had that since you have college years, but doing a lot of travel for work. And so it was a blessing to not have to balance those things for a couple of weeks. I want to share something actually that happened with a member of our Kirby community during our break that just meant the world to me. So we recently had the Space and Missile Defense Symposium in Huntsville. And I was there with my company. We had a booth and I got to talking with an executive from a wonderful nonprofit here in town. And she mentioned that she loves this podcast called Bell Curve. <laughs> she highly recommends it. <laughs> and I had to stop her and say, wait, really? Like, it's me, Rachel from Bell Curve. <laughs> yeah, we just, we had this moment of connection and laughter and we hugged. And she said that she's been this longtime listener and was eagerly waiting for us to end our break so she could get back to listening. And y'all, just to everyone out there who listens to Bell Curve, please know we are so grateful for you. Knowing that you find value in our conversations enough to spend your precious time listening just fills our cup to overflowing. So I want to share that from our break. It was great. Absolutely true. Absolutely. What a blessing. So true. How sweet. Absolutely. So Rachel, let's hear, put in a little word now for about our sponsor, Higher Echelon. Yeah, sure. So we are recording this in September. And of course, a few days ago, we honored the memory of those whose lives we lost on 9-11. And the president of Higher Echelon, Dr. Joe Ross, wrote his 9-11 story in an email out to all company employees that deeply inspired me about how and why those events set the foundation for Higher Echelon. So I just want to read you what he wrote. He said, for me, the four weeks surrounding 9-11 profoundly changed my life and set the foundation for what later became Higher Echelon. I did not know about 9-11 for the first 48 hours because my unit was fighting against the National Liberation Army in Kosovo. Two weeks before 9-11, we learned about a man named bin Laden recruiting and training insurgents in our area. We executed with unconscious competence based on our training to prevent a war against Macedonia and Albania, but also obtained valuable intel from the insurgents that later helped us in our fight against terrorism. Four months later, I changed command and 32 non-commissioned officers said to me, Sir, you taught us something we never learned anywhere else in the Army. Please find a way to teach all soldiers these concepts. What they were referring to is Higher Echelon's current day Resilient and Adaptable Leader Program. It became my mission and crusade to spread these tactics across all Army units. I knew how to coach and train soldiers on the mental and emotional skills of high performance, but I was unsure how to implement it on a large-scale effort like the Army. So I called my old college buddy, Paul Majano, to help me create a plan to scale my ideas across the Army. Three years later, the Army piloted our plan with great success and started the Army Center for Enhanced Performance, which today is known as the Ready and Resilient Program. When I retired from the Army in 2009, Paul and I reengaged and started discussing ideas about our own company since we had the confidence to grow an idea at large scale. Over the next four years, we worked between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m., creating our ideas that is today our flagship program. We finally had our ideas validated in 2011 when eBay asked us to do a two-day workshop. In 2012, I quit my full-time job coaching football at West Point to be Higher Echelon's first employee and moved to Huntsville. The rest is history because of the great and tremendous people 
that we have brought on the team. And he goes on, but I just wanted to share that because I think a lot of people want to know that the businesses they frequent, companies that they work for have missions and are doing what they do out of passion. Higher Echelon is one of those companies with a genuine desire to help people. It really is amazing about Higher Echelon because the reason they sponsor the show is to bring these ideas, these, these ideas that help us improve ourselves, to help us be our best selves to everyone. But I love it that they sponsor our show so that we can bring these ideas in, in a small way to our Kirby's. Ladies, I've been thinking a lot over the break a lot over the break about something that I want to talk about today. There's just been a lot of bad news in the news. It just seems like it's everywhere over the last few months. Bad news. You turn on the TV, bad news. You open the newspaper, bad news. You click, you know, turn on your computer, bad news. COVID, Delta variant, Afghanistan, earthquakes, fires. And y'all, it's just so terribly heavy and sad. And it's sad for certainly awful for those that are directly affected, but it's also hard on those who are trying to adjust it, make sense of it, what they're seeing, what they're hearing, what they're reading. And as if the facts aren't enough to make you cry, it's hard to find news media that isn't slanted. If you turn on the TV, the cable news stations are, there's some facts in there, but it's mostly littered with opinion and print is maybe a little bit better, but there's so much less of it these days. And we've become so used to our news being littered with opinion that even print isn't immune. You see it there too. And if you go online and get your news, you get sucked into all the algorithm rabbit holes that take you this way and that way. And you just feel yanked around like you're, there's a rope tied around you with your neck. And personally, y'all, I am angry. I am angry at the producers of the news, the quote unquote news. I feel like, I feel like I'm being experimented on, manipulated. I'm being told what to think. And I am sick of it. I, I just, I feel like people I know and I love have changed and not for the better by the way the news is being delivered, not by the underlying facts, the facts they can handle. But by the way it's being delivered, they seem angry, they seem worried, they seem nervous, they seem like they can't put it down, they seem like they're carrying something around with them all the time. And sometimes it, it really makes me feel like the world is coming apart at the seams. And I just don't feel like I'm alone. Am I alone? Please tell me I'm not alone. I'm- I, my, my eyes are tearing up a little bit right now to hear the passion in your voice, Mary Scott, because I I have, I have friends and family and loved ones who I feel that same way about. I feel like we have been manipulated into behaving certain ways with information and then toward each other. And, and I think we've, the three of us have been in rooms and have seen some stories unfold as they happen and then seen those stories presented in a different way in the news and you, you try to talk to people about, oh, maybe there's an, an, an agenda here. Maybe there's something else that we don't have the full context on. Like, but no, I saw it on, I saw it on the internet. So that's what must be true. And just there have been relationships harmed or lost because of that disconnect there. And it, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it's particularly heartbreaking for me because my background is in journalism. So when I was coming up and working as a reporter, it was it was before social media. So standards were still pretty high. Mistakes were a huge deal. 
Heck, misspelled names were a big deal. Much more so misreported or mishandled information. You did not mix opinion and straight news. It wasn't perfect. I know we all have the tendency to look at the past with rose-colored glasses, but I do think it was better than what we have now. And part of that is just the reality of the business. It's had to adapt to even stay in business. It's retracted a ton. There's so much that could be said here, but I think there are very genuine reporters out there trying really hard. I think there are some still left, but the reality is that there are just very few. And so I'm very sad about the state of modern news. I feel incredibly chagrined by the hostility that truthful reporting is met with. I think reporters live in fear of being fired or canceled. I get worked up thinking about it. Really, for better or worse, for me in the past year, I've pretty much said to heck with it. I went from consuming a lot of news to, frankly, consuming almost none. I think mostly that's because I transitioned into a corporate role and don't have the bandwidth. But also, it's just an honest assessment of where I want to spend my heart and mind. And it's not on the news. So I started watching The Morning Show recently. And our Kirby's will, a lot of them will know about this show. The Morning Show is an Apple series starring Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon and Steve Carell. Premiered in November 2019. And the second season is actually scheduled to premiere this month. It's all about the morning show wars. It's a great trolley, y'all. And in the first episode, have you watched it? First of all, have y'all, are y'all watchers of this? Yeah, I, I watched it when it first premiered last year, and I'm really excited about the premiere. I think it comes out on September 17th. I'm really excited about it. It's a good show. <laughs> it is a good show. In the first episode, there's this scene of Reese Witherspoon's character, Bradley Jackson, just losing it at a coal mine. Protest, counter-protest. Bradley is a reporter who's fallen on hard times. She wants to be a real journalist. She really wants that. And in her own words, be on the side of people, bringing them all sides to a story as a journalist would. But she's not being allowed to do that in the world today. And you're going to hear her scream some words that if she was like me, you have wanted to scream a few times yourself. In this scene... Remember, Bradley's in this scene of utter chaos at this, at this protest. Her cameraman gets knocked down to the ground and his camera gets knocked down with him by a protester. And I just want to say a little warning here. This clip that you're about to hear is appropriate for little ears. So if you're listening to this in the car with kids in the car, I might want to take a pause right now because we're not going to bleep out the language because there's a lot of it. But it's a scene I, I want to use to frame the discussion. So let's roll. And it's just a big wheel that goes around. Liberals add sanctions, conservatives remove those sanctions, and they just keep fighting. Because all they want to do is hear themselves talk. And they all want to be right. And they all want to win. And that's all they fucking care about. And there's a human cost. And it's exhausting. I'm exhausted. Okay, okay. Okay. I don't know how loud you had your volume on right there, but she... She is a kind of centrist. I teared up at this moment. I don't tear up very easy. I didn't cry when my children were born. But she screams, I'm exhausted. She is so tired of what she calls the wheel going round and round. This person has to be mad at this person. There has to be an enemy. There has to be a bad guy. Does this clip hit a nerve with y'all? What do you think? How did it make you feel? Oh, my goodness. Yes, I am exhausted too. I am exhausted by the the bait and switch. I'm exhausted by the manipulation. I'm exhausted by this bill of goods that we're sold with every link, with every headline, with every click that they're trying to farm from us. I am not a radish. I'm not a turnip. I'm not a carrot. I'm not a potato. I'm not something you pluck out of the ground and harvest and sell for money. 
you you sit here and you try to just tell me this version of the world that just is so untrue. This version where everything is crumbling around us, where where I hate my neighbor and my neighbor hates me, where the other side is my enemy. Y'all, that's not true. And they are trying to take advantage of our worst proclivities to say, I want my family to stay safe. I want me and my loved ones and my family to stay safe. But the only way to do that is for them to lose. But that is a lie. That is a lie. And we fall for it over and over again. And you know what? I think so many things, I'm an economist, my degree is in economics. So many things come down to incentives. And so when I start to feel myself riled up by something, and when I start to feel myself, when I see a headline and I start to feel myself think me versus them or good versus bad, say, what are the incentives of the person writing this clickbait headline? Is it to make the world a better place? Is it to solve a problem? Is it to bring people together? Or is it to farm me like a turnip? Is it to get my click and harvest that money that they get from getting that click? And like Rachel mentioned, I have drastically decreased the amount of news that I consume over the last, oh, really, year. Because at the beginning of COVID, I found myself, what they, I think was, was quickly termed, doom scrolling. I would trying to develop this feeling of of control over the situation by ingesting as much information as possible. So I would lie in bed at night and just scroll Twitter for hours, just trying to learn all of you know what science knew about it, what the politicians were saying about it, what different governments were doing about it in this bid to have a, a semblance of control. And that it's just not real. It's not real. What I can control is how I react to people, how I serve the people around me, and and how I interact with people who the world tries to tell me are my enemy, but really are my neighbor. Oh my goodness, I love that. And I have been thinking a lot lately about the idea of believing the best about people. I very much think most people are good. Most people want to create a better world. They may disagree about how to do that, but if they are passionately advocating a position, it's because from where they stand, that's how to make things better. So I think what's exhausting is to be breathing in constant bad faith. It cannot be that someone may have some valid points that you would like to debate. No, that person must be inherently evil with no goodness in them. And I think that toxic view of each other kills dialogue. It kills the opportunity to learn. That, I think, is what exhausts many reasonable people in the middle who end up just saying, you know, not worth my heart and soul and time. I don't have to engage. And I just want to say that, Liz, I watched Adam Grant has a new TED Talk out. He's an organizational psychologist. And he put up a meme in his TED Talk that was like, I think he called it revenge scrolling, where you're like, oh, I, it's 11 p.m. And you, the little character has his phone in his hand. He's like, I still have time to ruin tomorrow by staying up all night reading the news <laughs> tonight. Oh, my goodness. That's, that, oh, that stabs me a little bit. That's, oh, that's, me too. That was me a year ago, for sure. It strikes me what's left after you make, after you throw somebody into the enemy camp, they're your enemy. What's left to discuss? Nothing. There's nothing productive left to discuss once 
somebody has become your enemy. You're divorced. You're, you have no relationship. You have no, you have, there's nothing redeeming about that person. They are your enemy. There are certainly people out there who ought to be your enemies. I'm not opposed to enemies. There are people out there that are bad and they should be put in the enemy camera. But it just seems, strikes me as being extremely unproductive to take that position on hold. It seems like every issue has to have the arch enemy, the bad guy. And I think that's what she means when she gets into that. She makes a statement. It's the wheel just keeps turning and turning. The Republicans put in these policies. The Democrats come in and take these policies away. And the wheel just keeps turning and turning. And real people, there's a human cost to real people. And I thought a lot about that. And I, I think that's what she means by the wheel, that there's not enough solutions. At least it doesn't appear from what I can see from the news. Now, what actually happens in the halls of Congress and the halls of state legislatures across the country might be more encouraging if you actually were there. I tend to think it probably is. At least that's been my experience when I'm in government. Is that the, But what is presented to people is this exhausting view of you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're worse. You're, you know what I mean? What do y'all think? I 100% agree. And I have, and I don't know if this is exactly what you're getting at, Mary Scott, but I have a thing I think about sometimes when I see a politician prognosticating online or they're giving some big fiery speech. Have you ever seen the view in the halls of Congress, in the Senate or in the House of Representatives from behind that person giving that speech? There are usually about five people in that room and they're mostly staff. They're up there giving the fiery speech. It's a show. It's a show. It's a show. It's every bit as much of a show as the morning show is. <laughs> but they're doing it to press the buttons of the people who they know will, you know, will respond to it. And when you talk about politics and she terms it a wheel, I think of it as a pendulum swings one way and it's going to swing the other way. And so when we're thinking about what we want to do to our neighbors who we see as enemies, what's going to happen when it swings the other, when that pendulum swings the other direction? That's the thing I think about a lot. Yeah, I mentioned Adam Grant earlier. I am also reading his new book called Think Again, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know. And I think some of his points are really relevant for all of us just to stop and realize that we all can become super entrenched in beliefs that actually might be wrong. I love what he said. He said that with advances and access to information and technology, knowledge isn't just increasing. It's increasing at an increasing rate. In 2011, you consumed about five times as much information per day as you would have just a quarter century or earlier. As of 1950, it took about 50 years for knowledge in medicine to double. By 1980, medical knowledge was doubling every seven years, and by 2010, it was doubling in half that time. The accelerating pace of change means that we need to question our beliefs more readily than ever before, but this is not an easy task. As we sit with our beliefs, they tend to become more extreme and more entrenched. So he talks about how, you know, we tend to take pride in our knowledge and our expertise and, you know, staying true to what we believe in and how that makes sense in a stable world, but that, you know, the problem is that we're living in a rapidly changing world. And so we have to be able to be adaptable. We have to be able to rethink our thinking in light of the facts that 
we might not have all the facts and that knowing what we don't know is truly crucial. I think another interesting thing that he brings up is that oftentimes research shows that the smartest folks are the ones who struggle the most to change their minds. He says that mental horsepower doesn't guarantee what he calls mental dexterity. I really like what he says about rethinking and what he's learned about the process of rethinking during his studies. He says that it, he often finds it unfolds in a cycle that starts with intellectual humility. And that, that really just means knowing what we don't know. Once we know what we don't know, that leaves a little bit of room for, for doubt, which leads to hopefully to curiosity, which then can then lead to discovery. And he says that that is in opposition to what he calls the overconfidence cycle, which really begins with pride, can lead to biases, and then seeking out validation of what we believe in, in a different cycle. So he says, quote, scientific thinking favors humility over pride, doubt over certainty, curiosity over closure. So one solution, I guess we could just stop ingesting news entirely. And Rachel, I know you, you said you, you've cut way back, but I know you haven't just stopped ingesting news. And I do feel certain that Curtis, probably there's a, there's the gambit there. There's probably those that have, you know, gone away from ingesting so much, or maybe started controlling the, the ways that they get their news. Unless you're willing to go off with Stanley Robinson and move to a deserted island, which we nobody can do that. It's that's not the answer. We for our careers, for our to be well rounded people, we need to, you know, we need to ingest some media. We need to ingest some news. I do have a few ways I cope with what the Bradley Jackson Reese Witherspoon character calls the wheel. I am interested to see how you cope. These are not research techniques, y'all. And I, I can't cite any resources for these because they're just Mary Scott's ways that I cope. So I, I recommend finding a way to ingest news that's efficient and informative and as middle of the road as possible that you can find. I use the Wall Street Journal app. It's an early bird format and it gives it from my economics perspective. And it's about 15 or 20 minutes. It comes out twice a day. And it's a, if you ever read the paper or the printed version of the Wall Street Journal, they have a left side column. And that's a little snippet. It's like about as big as the end of your finger. And it's a little snippet of these things that are going on in the world. And they, the, the app gives a really nice roundup of the world's news. And I just think it's a great way to ingest the news efficiently and, and with as informatively as you can get in a short time frame and you get what you need. And you can go deeper if you want to once you learn things. When I ingest the news, this is number two, I, I, in my head, it goes into these Mary Scott's buckets. Number one bucket, biggest bucket, really, is I don't care. There's just a lot of things. They may be important to somebody. They may be, that may be the biggest thing for somebody, but it's not, for whatever reason, it's not important to me. I listen to it. It goes in the, I don't. That's not important to me. I don't care about that. And as hard as that sounds, a lot of things do need to go in that bucket because you can't care about everything. And if you start caring about everything, you're going to drive yourself crazy. Number two bucket, I need to know a little bit about that bucket. That's something I need to know a little bit about. I don't need to know everything, but that's important. I should know a little bit about that. Number three bucket, I need to know a lot. I just need to know a lot about that. That's important to me. That's important to my family. That's important to my community. I really need to understand that. So when that comes up, I need to go a little deeper into that subject and learn some more. The last bucket, the number four bucket, is I'm going to act on it. And that's a small bucket. No, that's something like what I, one thing I did this year is when the, the earthquake hit Haiti, I've been supporting a 
a mission for girls in Haiti for years, 15 years, my husband and I have been supporting this mission. And when that happened, the epicenter of the earthquake was only about 70 miles from Ligon, where our orphanage is. And I did, that was a bucket that I planned to act on. So that went into that plan to act. And then once you plan to act, once you mentally triage your information that's coming in, you can put it away and not be upset. You can put it away because it has a place in your head. So that's how I triage the things that I'm taking in. The third thing, and I'll just offer this, is take a historian's perspective. If you've ever listened to a podcast or, or watched an interview of a historian, oh my gosh, they're so calm. And I think they're so calm because they have a perspective on the present. By looking so deep at the long arc of history, they don't say things like, this is the worst president. They don't say stuff like that because there have been a lot of bad presidents. There have been a lot of bad things. <laughs> Not that I'm under, I don't know, I don't want to undervalue things that are important that are going on, but historians have a perspective on things that's a longer arc than just our lifetimes and what we might have seen in the last few months, years, even our the time when we've been watching news and adjusting things. So a historian perspective, I think, is a healthy thing, not to the point of being blasé about things, but not being panicked about things that come up because we do know that the human condition is eternal. Oh, I think that's a great strategy. For me, I, there are a few individual content producers that I do still enjoy and trust. I, I recommend the Waking Up podcast with Sam Harris. I don't agree with everything he says. We He's not what you would probably think I would listen to, but I think he's brilliant and reasonable and increasingly crucial in this environment. He has built his own platform separate from any social media platform, gatekeeper or news platform, where his content goes straight to his paying listeners. And I think that will increasingly become the model of choice for reporters content producers, and really news consumers. So I recommend that. But I actually do think it is okay to disengage from actively seeking out news if it's just too much and it may, if it affects your health. Because like you said, Mary Scott, we're so saturated by media. We're going to be informed about big events by, by virtue of being alive in a community. Like I said, my husband and I used to be very active in politics and news. I know y'all were too. He and I have both found such renewed joy in reading books. He's currently writing short stories. He, we both used to write political commentary. He's writing short stories. He loves it. I have always loved reading nonfiction about the fields I'm interested in. So psychology of persuasion and interpersonal communication. So that's currently what I'm focused on. And just, I would just say, I'm not currently going to invest my passion and heart where the returns are so precious few. But there are a few places where th there is good content to be had. I think those are really wise suggestions from both of y'all. I follow this account on Instagram called Sharon Says So. And I wish I had reached out to her last year when she only had about 60,000 followers because now she has 692,000 followers. If that gives you any indication of what a breath of fresh air she is, she goes to extraordinary lengths to to not let anybody know which side, I'm putting quote, air quotes around which side she is on. She just pre presents the facts and talks about things in a very measured and kind manner. She calls herself America's government teacher. Her followers use the hashtag governors 
And to curator of facts and funds, let's be world changers. And she just started her own podcast, the Sharon Says So podcast. And she's this delightful Midwestern former government teacher who just, she presents conversations about Texas's abortion bill next to images of whales and and dolphins and just like beautiful things that nobody's going to disagree on to just try to keep everybody leveled out and in perspective. Uh, On September 11th, she posted this series of thoughts on her Instagram that I ended up sharing on my Instagram stories because it really struck a chord with me. And if it's all right with y'all, I'd like to read through them right now. She said, what if we all woke up in the morning with these questions on our mind? How can I love my neighbor today? How can my small actions be a part of the change I want to see reflected in the world? What legacy do I want to leave for my loved ones? We may long for revolution, but there is greater hope in the pursuit of relentless incrementalism. Relentless incrementalism says, I will trust that lighting one candle will shine a light in the darkness. And with my light, a path can be illuminated. Relentless incrementalism says, the weight of the world is not on my shoulders alone but I will never stop looking for opportunities to help. Relentless incrementalism says, I will stop asking someone else to fix it and I will lend my hands and feet to the effort. Choose hope over despair. Choose love over contempt. Choose action over thought. The world will become what we choose to make it. And that was just, she presented that without saying, well, we can only do this if my people are in power. We can only do this if what I want happens. That, that, that is how I think we break the wheel. I think that's how we stop the pendulum swings is that relentless, positive incrementalism. Now, I have one more question, but I think I'm going to leave it for another day I, because I think this is a topic that we, I think I want to take it up again. I want to get into what do we do when someone we love is on the dopamine news media wheel and exhausting everyone around that. But I'd like to get into some more research techniques about this because I think there's more to be had. But Liz, that's a beautiful thought and I can't do anything but say Thank you. Thank you. That's the right, that's the right way to end. The Kirby's are glad to be back with you and keep listening and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.